Good morning. Our sermon passage uh, is in Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. It's on page 911 in your pew Bibles. I figure when you have it, Craig, everyone will have it. <laughs> no pressure. 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, on one hand, we come to this passage and we should worship. Because uh, we're here. 2,000 years ago, you had an overlooked and marginalized people devoting themselves to teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and we are here. And on the other hand, I feel like I should laugh. Uh, what happens when uh, a people recognize and live uh, under the reality that you are Lord, uh, that you rule and that you reign, that you're real and that this is history, that this happened, just as it said. I pray that you'd give Larry wisdom in expounding on this word, and I pray that we would be this kind of people, and that our worship together today um, along with the worship of millions of others who are doing this same thing, would make us more like this and that you would add to our number. In Jesus' name. Amen. Did he introduce himself? That's Joe. He came to trust in Jesus. You were raised in a Christian home, but when would you say you came to trust and follow Jesus? 22 years ago. 22 years ago? And change. It's a little bit and change, because I was 22 years ago. But, um, and he's been a part of this body for about 18 years or so-ish, 20 ish. Did you, did you stand? Did you stand earlier? I'm trying to introduce. He did, I wouldn't put anybody else on the spot other than him, actually. And I think a lot of you understand that dynamic. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for reading, Joe. I just told him to introduce himself and he didn't. So I just wanted to give him a little bit of a, a time. Um, growing up, uh, I I watched a lot of television, like a lot of television. Um, 
And I, I never had realized this until this past week, but I just was thinking about it this past week that an awful lot of the television shows that I watched and that I enjoyed as a child and into my teenage years depicted uh, the life of families. Uh, sometimes they were, you know, kind of your basic intact nuclear family. Sometimes they were what we might call a quote unquote a dysfunctional family in some form, but there were so many TV shows that offered viewers the opportunity to peer in on and just sort of look and watch the goings and comings, the joys and the sorrows and the struggles and the funny times and the sad times of a family. So I think my favorite was Different Strokes. <laughs> and, you're all, and some of you are thinking right now when I just said it, what are you talking about, Willis? <laughs> I love that show. But there was a whole lot of them, right? There was the Cosby show, and there was Webster, and Family Ties, and Family Matters, and Who's the Boss? That was another one of my favorites. And uh, then I had two little sisters, and they were really into Full House. It was Growing Pains, and there was the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And there was, and now you're singing that, that little chorus. And there was Roseanne and The Simpsons, even we could put in that category. There were older shows too, right? Like The Brady Bunch or The Partridge Family. Uh, today, there still shows, I think, I don't know. Uh, there was a show called This Is Us. I think it was about a family. And that was kind of a big deal recently. Lots of shows. It's like there's something about watching a family that resonates with us. Uh, we can relate to it, even if we didn't maybe have, depending on whatever our family experience was, there's something compelling to us about watching families. And um, I was thinking about this because for the next several weeks, as we study the passage of scripture that Joe just read for us, it's like God is giving us a little freeze frame. It's not a program. It's not a show that we can watch, but it's like a snapshot. Here's what it's like to look in on my family, live in their life. Now, we want to remember the context. We're continuing in a study of the book of Acts. Jesus has been resurrected from the dead, and he, before he is going to ascend uh, to heaven, he says to his disciples that they would be his witnesses everywhere, right from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But he tells them before they're to go, they're to wait. They're to wait for the, that power that would come to them in the person of the Holy Spirit. And then on the day of Pentecost, he comes, that the Holy Spirit arrives and immediately on that day, amidst the confusion and the wonder that was taking place, what is going on? People were wondering, people thought they were drunk. Peter gets up and he preaches boldly. Uh, he calls the crowd to repentance. And there is confession of sin and there is repentance. And on that day, Jesus powerfully is building his church. There's a great harvest of souls. We're told 3,000 on that day were transferred from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the beloved son. And those 3,000 souls, they were formed into, they weren't just, their status didn't just become child of wrath and now child of God. 
citizen of, of, of judgment to citizen of heaven. It was that, but they were formed into a community, a family. And Luke, in these verses that Joe read, he's painting a picture for us. This is what it was like. Uh, David Peterson, commentator on the book of Acts, says that in, in, with this verse, with verse 42, the narrative shifts from a description of particular events on a particular day to a general description of the inner life of the Jerusalem church. And he says that it's a model of what could happen when people were bound together by a belief in the gospel an understanding of its implications, and an enjoyment of its blessings. Luke just, he slows the plot down. This, this paragraph in Acts 2 does not really advance the narrative of how the gospel went from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We could pluck out this paragraph and go right from chapter 2, verse 41, into chapter 3, and the narrative would be able to continue on. But Luke put this here because he wanted us to see this is what it's like when the Holy Spirit falls upon a people and God changes their lives. And we want to take some extended time. Just as Luke slows down to give us this picture, we want to slow down in our study to consider it. So Lord willing, we'll spend the next six weeks today and five more weeks just thinking about this paragraph. It's, it's a picture of how the church can be. It's not, it, it's not a perfect church. Right? We, we understand as we're going to keep going on. There's sin in this church, there's strife, there's conflict, there's quarreling. But it is a picture of faithfulness that is worth our aspiring to and imitating in the ways that we can. We can't imitate this passage in all the ways. We have no apostles here. We'll talk about that more as we go. But, but there is much that we can imitate and it is a helpful guide in assessing our own priorities and values in a church as we look at this passage. So the first thing Luke tells us is they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And that's all we want to think about this morning. So I, I have an outline for you, but it's not very creative. I, 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 it just is what it is. It's not alliterated. It's, it's, it's just the words of the passage, actually. Point number one, and they. Point number two, the apostles' teaching. Point number three, devoted. I hope it will be helpful. I hope that as we read it, think about it, uh, God will grow in us a deeper devotion to that wonderful teaching that he has preserved for us. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So right at the beginning of this paragraph, there's a, there's a they. There's not just a they, but there's an and they. And what that's showing us is that this wonderful paragraph is not just popped in, here's a new idea, here's something new. And they tells us this is continuing on what Luke has already been describing for us. The, the heading there, if it's in your Bible the way it is in mine, if you're looking at one of the Bibles that we have provided there, in between verse 41 and verse 42, there's this heading, the fellowship of the believers. And they put those headings in there to assist us and guide us in understanding, but I, it may obscure for us the fact that this is just continuing on what we were already told about. This is the they 
who had just been cut to the heart by Peter's gospel proclamation, who had received the word, who had repented of their sin and been baptized and been added to the number of the disciples. That's what we read about in the verses right before verse 42. Let me just read a few of those verses so that you can see this and they in the context. Uh, look, at, look at, at verse 37. Now, now when they heard this, they are the same, this is the same they in verse 42. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. I don't, I don't, know, how, I'm not, I don't know how this would have landed on the people that day. I wonder if they were thinking... They had just days or weeks earlier called down a curse upon them. They said of Jesus when he was crucified, let his blood be on us and our children. Now, what would it have been like for them to hear Peter say, this promise of salvation and forgiveness and the Holy Spirit is for you and for your children, but not just for them and for their children, but for all who were far off, everyone whom the Lord, our God, calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And Luke says, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Added to what? Well, as what David Peterson said in his commentary, added to the church in Jerusalem. Back in chapter 1, verse 15, Luke had said the company of the persons was in all about 120 but now that number has swelled to 3,120. These, these new converts were added to a distinct, visible, identifiable, local body of believers. They were added to the church. They became a part of the number who were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And that's the kind of stuff that marks a local church. So these, these new disciples, when they were cut to the heart, when they were convicted, when they repented, when they were baptized, they were not just sent on their way to go live out their new Christian faith as a scattered, isolated individual believers but they, they were added to a family. This, their repentance and their baptism was the incorporation of them into a new community. And I do think that's worth dwelling on for just a few minutes. That's why I made a point of, and they. The fruit of the Holy Spirit landing upon a people, bringing about conviction and faith and repentance is a they. I don't think that's entirely as obvious as maybe it ought to be to us in the United States in the 21st century. Um, a, a couple of years back, a, a very well-known preacher who I've learned a lot from over the years uh, offered a long list of Christian books that he recommends to people to encourage them and strengthen them in their faith. It was, I think it was like 25 or 30 books. And there was all kinds of different books about theology, about the, the nature of God, and 
his saving work in Christ. And there were different biographies about great uh, saints who have lived the life of faith before us. And there were books about missions and there were books about the Christian life. But strangely, at least I thought it was strange, there wasn't one single book in this very famous pastor's uh, collection of recommended books. There wasn't one book about the church. And it just struck me as a little bit odd because what Jesus said he was going to do is he was going to build his church. And so much of the New Testament is written to churches, right? So many of the, we see in the book of Acts, the, the, the birth and the growth of the church. And then so many of the letters are addressed to churches or pastors of churches. This solo approach to the Christian life is not what we see in the days of the book of Acts. What we see in Acts 2 is when the Holy Spirit begets a new Christian, when he gives new birth, when a new child of God is born, the Holy Spirit ensures that that new child loves the family of God. It's, 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 it's part of the DNA that he gives us. When we are saved, we're saved into a family. That's why the Apostle Paul, when he, that wonderful passage in Ephesians 2 that we love and we remember them often at baptisms where we talk about how we were dead in sin and, and we were alienated from God and we were objects of wrath and then by grace he saved us and he made us alive and it goes on right after that to talk about how we were brought together, right? Jew and Gentile brought together as a one new people, a new dwelling place for God, a new family, the Apostle John writes in 1 John three fourteen, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. That's how we know we've passed out of death into life. Not because we can articulate and memorize the Apostles' Creed, which is a good thing to do. But that's not what he says. He says, we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers, and I think John got that straight from Jesus because it was Jesus who said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the gospel call in the book of Acts throughout the New Testament is not... Go, follow Jesus on your own. But it's come, follow Jesus with us. Those who are baptized in the Spirit are baptized into one body. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. And I think these two little words at the beginning of verse 42, and they are meant to highlight that for us. Now, we'll have more occasion to think about that they. Next Sunday's sermon, Lord willing, is entirely on they were devoted to the fellowship. And it's not just uh, getting together with other people who are Christians and watching the Phillies. That is not fellowship. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do, it's just not fellowship. Okay. That's next week. For now, though, can, do you recognize, can you discern this fruit of the Spirit in your own life? This reality that the evidence of God's transforming power in your life is not just a thirst for the Bible. 
Though God does, the Holy Spirit does awaken in us a thirst for the teaching of God's word. It's not just the ability to memorize scripture, but it's actually a new longing, a new love, a new desire to walk in the affectionate accountability of a local assembly of spirit-filled saints. Do you, can you discern that in your life? That new radical family veinous, that's not a word, but since we're talking about hope and joy merging together, that was one of Jim Meyer's lessons to me, was that if you could say the word, it was a word. So there's a veinous. Can you see that in your life? We're different. We are different people. We have, we're at different ages. We have different stages of life. Uh, we, we have different time capacities. Some of us are more introverted. Some of us are more extroverted. But this is a part of the family DNA that the Holy Spirit births in all of his people. This is the convincing proof of the Spirit's converting work in our lives is that we love the people of God. There's an and they. Do you know that? Are you walking in that? We follow Jesus faithfully in the fellowship of his people. And together, we are called to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay, point number two, the apostles' teaching. This new family that was birthed in response to Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost was devoted to the apostles' teaching, which was not just the teaching of the apostles, but it was actually God's own words. Jesus, the son of God, had commissioned his disciples before his departure, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. We've got that on a banner to remind us of it. We know these words. What did he tell them to do? Disciple the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. So the apostles' teaching is not just the apostles going out, giving their own words, but it's the apostles going out saying, we are authoritative sent ones. That's what an apostle is, a sent one, one who has been sent with the authority of the Lord Jesus himself. We are coming to you giving Jesus' words. So uh, kids, kids, you... If you have siblings, I know not all of you have siblings, but you can understand this, I think. If, if there's a difference, kids, if you're, let's say you're upstairs doing something and you have a, a brother or sister comes up and says, go downstairs and clean up the kitchen. Okay, so if, if your brother or sister came up and said, hey, go downstairs and clean up the kitchen, probably you're going to say to your brother or sister, uh, no, thank you. Or you're going you're gonna to say something like, uh, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. But I always get some engagement down in this corner. Love it. But I don't know, James, you tell me what it's like. If, if, if Zach comes up and says, dad said, you need to go downstairs and clean the kitchen. What would you say then? He doesn't believe. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't believe. Okay. <laughs> That kind, he says he doesn't believe me, but that kind, of, that kind of defeats my illustration, but that was bound to happen. But it's a little different if you say, dad said, go down and clean the kitchen. Your words have more authority when you say they're from dad or from mom. When the, after the service, we'll talk about it. I did this to myself. Hey, it's cool. Oh, how good it is when the family of God dwells together. Um, <laughs> when the apostles speak, they don't just say, we're telling you to do this. We're telling you about the Lord. They're saying, Jesus said. 
And that's what we have in God's words. And because the, the apostles had been charged with communicating God's own words, what we see throughout the book of Acts is they were devoted to teaching his words. And the churches were devoted to receiving those words. So as, as you just trace this out through the book of Acts, uh, it says in chapter 5, the, the religious leaders are enraged. They're furious with the apostles because it says, we strictly charge you not to teach in his name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. As they were just going around, filling Jerusalem with their teaching. When a threat arose in chapter 6, there were widows who were not being served and there was a quarrel. And the apostles said, we need to find some, some faithful, spirit-filled men. We'll get to this when we come to chapter 6. We need to find some people to help take care of this need. But we're going to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Right? The teaching was so critical. It wasn't that the widow's needs were unimportant. But the teaching was so critical, the apostles needed to devote themselves to that. Uh, when we follow on longer in the book of Acts, we see Paul gets to Corinth and he stays there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. When he recounts his time in ministry in the city of Ephesus, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. And the book of Acts ends with a picture of Paul in prison saying he lived there two whole years at his own expense and he welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You just read through the book of Acts and you can see this commitment to the teaching of the apostles. And that, that devotion to the teaching did not stop when the book of Acts ended. So Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. He says a few verses later, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. He writes to Titus, Titus, he puts Titus in Crete. He says, bring these churches to order. He says, I want you to appoint elders in all the churches and these elders must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that they may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, sound teaching, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Paul writes to Timothy that elders who labor in the word and in teaching, they're worthy of double honor. There's this burden and concern for the teaching, the proper, faithful, right teaching of the word. And what we learn from the, books, the book of Acts is that the heart of that sound teaching is the good news of the life and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. If you were... Uh, this would be a helpful exercise this week, perhaps, if you're, if you're maybe stuck in a rut with your Bible reading. You just maybe want to read through the whole book of Acts. You can do it in one sitting or do it this week or in the next couple of weeks, but just keep an eye on what it was that the apostles were going around teaching. And it's hard for me to just synthesize that in a couple of minutes, but I think what we would basically, I mean, again, we just have an example of it in the verses right before this paragraph. Jason preached on it a couple of Sundays ago, this message that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. But I think the basic message of the apostles is that Jesus of Nazareth is alive from the dead. And you need to be prepared to meet him. 
He is the promised one of God. He's the one who has come to restore all things, the one who's come to heal all that sin has stolen from the world. And as Savior, Jesus received in his own body of flesh the righteous wrath of God that was due to us by dying on the cross as a substitute for sinners. The Lord Jesus Christ died because of us. It was our sin that hung him there, but he died for us because it was actually his mercy that hung him there. It was mercy that put him there because Jesus was willing to give up his own life so that our sins would no longer be counted against us. But Jesus did not stay dead. On the third day, he rose triumphantly from the grave and he ascended to the right hand of God the Father where he now reigns even at this moment as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And his Lordship demands a response from all. And the appropriate response is to confess your sin and to turn from your sin, to repent of it, to turn from ruling yourself and submit to his rule. Receive him as savior and as Lord and leader. Actually, Ben used that word last week when he was here with us uh, from Acts chapter five, that Jesus is our leader, our king. And for all who do, for all who would repent and receive him, God will bring about Times of healing and refreshment. Not all of that healing happens now, but it's promised to us at his coming because he will come again. His triumphant resurrection assures us that he is the judge who will come to judge the living and the dead. And so come to him, flee to him for refuge now because if you dig in in opposition to him, there will be wrath and fury and indignation. So today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts against him. Because he is good, he will judge all evil completely, totally, fairly, and eternally. But if you would receive him, he will wash away your sins. He will cleanse you forever and he will bring you into his forever family. If if you are here this morning among us, and you have not repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus, we believe that you've been brought here today to hear that message. It's not a message that we came up with. It's a message that was directed by the apostles and it came from the Lord Jesus himself. As a sinner who deserves hell and can be saved only by God's grace, you have an interest in hearing what God has to say to you. And while all he really needs to do is give you that word of condemnation, in his extraordinary mercy, he has given words of pardon, words of salvation in Jesus Christ, that all who confess him as Savior and Lord and who swear allegiance to him by trusting wholly in his finished work on the cross could receive forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life. And we call you to receive him today. That's a message we're not called to ever leave behind. It's the message, Paul says, of first importance, that Christ died for our sins and he was raised on the third day, as the scriptures said. A Christian, brothers and sisters, I hope you, think, I hope you don't think that that message is just for the visiting non-believers. We need that message too, as the, first message, as the message of first importance. It's why the writer of Hebrews said that we're to run this race looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We need 
that apostolic message. We need to be reminded of that love that God has shown to us in Jesus Christ because Paul says the whole Christian life is lived by the love of Christ. The love of Christ controls us because he died for all. We now are free to no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and for our sake was raised. And so we, brothers and sisters, are called to devote ourselves to the apostolic teaching. We're to be devoted to it. Uh, kids, those, any kids in promised land right now? That, not right now. Okay, you're in the service right now. But that maybe you're in promised land earlier today. You're studying, you're memorizing apostolic words, words of the apostles. Anybody want, any, any brave soul? Is my also directing to the type. Any brave child want to get up and, and recite for us the passage that you're memorizing right now in promised land? Anybody want to do it? Take, I'll, I'll do it with you. Let's start it out. No, no, I'm just saying. <laughs> do nothing. Can you do it? Can you say it with me, kids? Do nothing from selfish ambition. But in humility. That's right. But in humility, count others or consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you. Did you get this part yet, kids? Let each of you look. Not only. I heard not only. Not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Kids, praise God you have teachers. And, and we want you to have, make sure you have teachers at home. Dads, this is your calling foremost. Moms, you get to partner in that good work. But praise God for promised land leaders. They're teaching you those apostolic words. That's the apostles' teaching. To not live selfishly and think of ourselves only, but to think of others. And if you are going to say, I don't know if you're going to be doing the rest of that passage in promised land, but that goes on to remind us of Jesus and how he didn't think of himself first, but he put others first by laying down his life and dying on the cross. We need that apostolic teaching to know how to be forgiven of our sin, but also to guide us in living in a manner that is worthy of him. And so we give ourselves to being devoted to the apostles' teaching. As I was studying this particular word, devoted, here's, here's some uh, other phrases that I came across to help give you a sense of the word. To be persistently obstinate in. That's an interesting way of putting it. Occupying oneself diligently. Paying persistent attention to. Holding fast to. That's what they were in relation to the apostles' teaching. And it has been that way in God's church for 2,000 years. God's people have loved to gather to hear one from their number stand before the family of God and give them the apostles' teaching. Not because of that teacher and how great he is, but because of the teaching and how great it is. And we labor to have the apostles' teaching be central when this church gathers together Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. We labor. I'm sure we can grow in it. Help us. Come talk to us about your observations about how we could grow in it. But we labor in the sermon themselves to be devoted to the teaching of the apostles. To sing songs that stir our hearts to think about the fruit of that apostolic teaching. In the, the prayers that we pray, we're praying in response to the words of God. Even the, even the shape of our service is meant to teach you about the message of first importance. 
We don't say this too often, but it may be useful for me to say, it is useful to say from time to time. Say, why do we come in and every week it's kind of the same pattern where we come in and we're called to worship and give God praise and then we're, we hear God's word and we confess sin and we're then reminded of forgiveness. We do that because that's the gospel. We start the service by being reminded we were made in God's image and we exist to bring him glory. But we have fallen short and we don't do it the way we ought to. And God, as, as we read this morning, in Proverbs 8, we were confronted with how we fall short and we confessed our sin. And then we are reminded that God has mercy and his, his redemption is plentiful for sinners who confess their sin and come to Jesus and we're assured of his pardon. And then the Holy Spirit guides us, hope we pray it's the Holy Spirit who's guiding us as we're instructed and built up in the faith that we might live lives that please him and then we're sent on our way as we will be at some point soon uh not soon and very soon, but sometime soon, we will be sent on our way with his blessing to go and declare his glory in our spheres of influence. The whole way that we gather is meant to teach us, to root us in this apostolic teaching of the gospel. I'm just deciding what things I want to say and what things I don't want to say. This is a beautiful picture. What's happening right now is a beautiful, I heard this about 10 or 12 years ago at a conference and it has stuck with me so many times I think about this. I don't know that I've ever said it actually. Maybe I have. What's happening right now is such a beautiful picture of our salvation. You are just sitting there, mouth shut, ears open, receiving. And that's how we got saved. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. We contribute nothing to it. We do nothing to earn it or achieve it. We hear someone spoke God's word, his word of salvation to us in Jesus. And we, all we did was just sit there and receive it. And we get, to live, we get to live out that devotion to the scriptures every time we gather. It is a way that our kids are being formed, I believe. It is a way that new Christians or even those inquiring about the Christian faith are formed. They might not understand everything I'm saying, but they can see and perceive and they're being formed. This is a people that are eager to receive God's word. And that teaches them something very powerful. But that devotion can cool down. And we need to be vigilant against that. Are, are we hungry to receive God's word, the apostles' teaching? Are we devoted to it? Are we reverent in our approach to it, faithful in preparation, praying earnestly for our times when we would come and we would gather on Sunday morning and we would hear the apostles' teaching? Here's something that would be an interesting exercise for you. Uh, keep count over the next, like, say, six months. Keep count over how many weeks you are in your own local congregation to hear the sermon. And just note for six months, note the different reasons why you're not here. And just ask the Holy Spirit to instruct you. I'm not going to tell you anything about it. I'm just asking the Holy Spirit to instruct you if that tells anything about the persistence and the zeal and the diligence of your devotion to the apostles' teaching. Now I'm making much right now about Sunday morning, 
but we understand that devotion to the apostles' teaching is about much more than just what happens when we gather. Right? We intend for this, this is a, a fueling time because this is the one time that the whole family comes together. But that devotion to the apostles' teaching is meant to ripple out and to, and to carry on in all of our relationships, all of our conversations. You may not be a preacher, but we're all called to that ministry of preaching the apostolic word. Colossians 3.16 is an instruction to all Christians to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. We're all to be spreading. It's meant to be the experience of every one of God's people. The proclamation of God's word, the apostolic teaching that happens here is meant to course through the, the veins of this church, giving life to every aspect of our community, every aspect of our life together at soccer fields or the backyard or the dinner table or coffee shops. We speak God's word to one another because God's word created the church and now the church upholds and teaches and advances his word in each other's lives and in our neighborhoods and among all nations to the glory and praise of the God who speaks. None of this is easy, brothers and sisters. We are promised, I alluded to it in the pastoral prayer, we are promised that there will be opposition to us as we remain devoted to the apostles' teaching. And we see it around us, don't we? Some of us experience it in our own families. We see it in the culture around us. We live in a crooked and twisted generation. And we can see the enemy's handiwork all around us. The immorality, the lies, the chaos, the division, the hatred that exists so much around us. And at times like that, where there is opposition, where we see so much need, there's an awful lot that the church can give itself to. We could give ourselves to organizing and funding efforts to dig wells, to provide clean water to villages in impoverished countries. We could, we could, be part, we could participate in calling for police reform to ensure that police officers use their authority properly. Or we could support police officers who risk their lives to protect us. Uh, we could labor to end the evil of abortion in our country. Uh, we, could, we could join and, and run for school boards and try to influence school boards and influence the direction that they're teaching our children in public schools. We could work to end homelessness and provide support for impoverished families. We could help children in the foster care system and the parents of those children. We could give ourselves to adoption. Uh, we, we could ensure uh, that uh, uh, the oppression of racial minorities is not overlooked or propagated. We could seek to provide housing and resources for migrant families fleeing from war-torn countries. There's a whole lot we could give ourselves to. And those are all good endeavors. And, and, and uh, brothers and sisters in this church are actively engaging in some of those efforts even now. I mean, we're actually going to be talking about some of those things even in our member meeting tonight. But part of walking together wisely as a local church is being able to distinguish between the things that we can do, the things that many of us individually will desire to do out of our desire to glorify God, and the things that as a congregation we must do. And I hope this little sampling of scripture that I have given you this morning about the apostolic teaching establishes in our hearts collectively, unequivocally, that the one necessary thing in our church, the one thing from which every other good endeavor actually would spring, 
is our making a home for God's word, our being devoted to the apostles' teaching, our being a congregation that is built upon and relying upon the word of God, not just on Sunday mornings, yes, on Sunday mornings, but throughout our life together in elders' meetings and member meetings and Sunday school classes and in life groups and in passing post-service conversations and in the counseling ministries of the church that we would be relying upon God's word. From the days of the first church, that's what God's family has been about. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. What a thing to be said of a church. They loved to receive God's word. They were all about submitting themselves to and trusting in and hoping in. Just as we, we sang, I will wait for you, relying on his word, I will rely. What a thing to be said about a church. May it be said of Joy Community Fellowship. They were a people who craved, who longed for, who were devoted to God's word. And when we're not, because some of you are thinking right now, I have so failed in my devotion to God's word. When we fail, we go back to the very heart of that apostolic word and we rejoice in Jesus because he perfectly devoted himself to the word. That's the only way we have a right standing with him because he perfectly fulfilled all that we have failed to. God has spoken through the apostles and prophets. And it is our joyful duty and privilege to remain obstinately persistent in our devotion to it until the race is finished and the work is done. May we walk by faith and not by sight. On his word, may we find ourselves relying unto the day when our Lord breaks through the heavens and our faith becomes sight and he wipes away every tear from our eyes. May we be found to be a people devoted to the apostles' teaching. Love you, brothers and sisters. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve to have you speak to us. But you have graciously spoken to us, and we want to regard your word, to, to revere it, to memorize it, yes. We do want to memorize it because... Your words have we hidden in our hearts that we might not sin against you. But may we not only memorize it, may we feed on it, may it encourage us and strengthen us, and may it be reverberating around the life of this church in every aspect of it. Would you help us to be a people trusting in you, enjoying the sweetness of trusting in Jesus, taking him at his word, and would you help us to be an encouragement to one another to keep on trusting? Some of us know, some of us this week know how hard it is to be trusting in your words. And would you, would you help us? Would you use the and they, the community, the family, to keep on urging and encouraging and spurring one another on to that good work of relying upon your word? Do this in our midst for your glory and for our good. We ask it through Jesus. Amen.